Hi, everyone. Before I begin, I want to briefly explain what's going on here. Beginning with this inaugural episode, we're going to be posting various different resources here in the form of a podcast. These episodes will be separate and distinct from our Sunday sermons, but for your convenience, all within the same feed. The content that follows was originally presented in session one of our book study through Living the Christian Year by Bobby Gross. So I want to make a case for the Christian year, also known as the church calendar or the liturgical calendar. Whether we're talking about Christian individuals or families or congregations or the entire church globally, when we truly immerse ourselves within the Christian year, when we truly inhabit the liturgical seasons, I believe we are leveraging a powerful and often underutilized tool for discipleship and spiritual formation. It doesn't matter who you are or where you live or when you live, life can be difficult. Life is difficult. But modern people, modern Americans, do seem to feel that difficulty acutely. Despite our relative prosperity and comfort, we seem to be uniquely weighed down by the world. And there are a number of different reasons for that, some of which we have control over, like our devices or social media or our notification settings or the degree to which we participate in the 24-hour news cycle. But some of what contributes to the weight and anxiety we feel is cultural and largely out of our control. For instance, we know that death is coming for everyone, but we live in a society that works hard to distract us from really having to deal with that. And so the reality and inevitability of death is like a program running in the background of our brains that's using up all our RAM and making it more difficult to function. We also live in a society that, that wants us to believe that happiness can be found in the purchasing of goods. If only I had the new iPhone. If only I had an updated kitchen. If only I could go on a relaxing vacation. Happiness and rest for your soul are always just one strategic purchase away. We also live in a society that tells us that we hold the power of self-determination. We are free of all limits, free to be whatever we want, free to do whatever we want. And that, that sounds appealing at first, but that type of freedom is ultimately tyrannical. We were designed by God to have limits, and we function best within limits. We all want to feel like we belong, but in order to experience belonging, we have to limit ourselves. That's true of a marriage covenant. That's true of joining a church. That's true of just being a good friend. To experience belonging, we have to limit ourselves. If everyone is free to the nth degree, then everyone is ultimately alone. And if everyone is a snowflake, then we don't have any shared basis for a common life together. So there's all that going on. Um, plus, for many within our church, this is a very difficult stage of life. Life gets increasingly complex in your 30s and 40s, and that can leave us feeling spiritually dry, if not comatose. As our cares and anxieties are multiplied, it can sometimes crowd out deep spirituality. 
In short, following Jesus is hard and our world does not make it easier. And so I want to acknowledge the time and place in which we find ourselves. I want to affirm the way you're probably feeling as a Christian in 21st century America. But I want to offer the Christian year as a helpful tool in your own personal discipleship and communion with God. Much like our liturgy on Sunday mornings, the Christian year is designed to do most of the heavy lifting for you. When you cannot pray, the liturgy prays for you. When you are worn out, the liturgical calendar keeps going. These things do require effort, of course, but it's a, it's a different kind of effort. Everything we do requires effort, but some things are so habitual, so deeply ingrained in our rhythms and psyche that we can accomplish them unconsciously. And that is the sort of effort I'm talking about. We don't have to reinvent the wheel of spiritual devotion. We can plug ourselves into something ancient and time-tested, something that's not bound by our 21st century anxieties, and we can meet with Jesus there. We can build our habits upon the Word of God and the faithful work of previous generations. We can make deep spirituality habitual and ingrained. Hear the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It says, for everything, there is a season. Part of what it means to be human is that we experience life as a series of seasons. That's fundamental to how God has created the world. What we do in the fall is different than what we do in the spring. What we do in the winter is different than what we do in the summer. Human beings adapt in accordance with the season. And of course, the seasons are cyclical. The seasons are repetitive. But the seasons are sufficiently distinct from one another that we never get bored with the repetition. Some of us may prefer spontaneity and novelty over ritual and repetition. But the truth is that every one of us will, in the end, settle into repetitive rhythms and rituals. We cannot sustain perpetual spontaneity. We have been hardwired to need a degree of predictability. And that's partly why God ordained specific days and specific seasons for the people of Israel to observe. God obviously knows best how he created human beings to function, and he apparently thought that cyclical and repetitive rituals were good for the spiritual formation of his people. 
And it's worth pointing out that these cyclical seasons were actually the means by which God moved things forward. When God creates a cyclical rhythm, it's not a hopeless or stagnant cyclical rhythm. It's not like the Wheel of Time, if you're familiar with that book, or Eastern religions and philosophies where history keeps crashing back in on itself. No, for God, a cyclical rhythm is more like a slinky. It's cyclical, but it never really returns to the point of origin. It's always progressing. It's always moving upward or forward. In other words, repetition is how we mature. If you've ever learned an instrument or a sport, you know that repetition is how we mature. Maybe you've heard this quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. So a childlike faith will be, in some sense, a repetitious faith. Again, repetition is how we mature. And one nice thing about the Christian year is that it's balanced between repetition and variation. Like spring and summer and fall and winter, the Christian year is cyclical, but we experience the cycle as constant variation. Perhaps you've never really immersed yourself in the Christian year, and the idea of it may seem a bit daunting, and that's okay. But as Americans, we already understand liturgical time. We already know that some days and seasons are more meaningful than others. Some days and seasons are more charged with meaning. Americans have holy days, such as the 4th of July, or Memorial Day, or September 11th. We remember specific American saints who embodied what it means to be an American. People like George Washington and Martin Luther King Jr. We have dates that commemorate significant and formative events in the history of our nation, such as Thanksgiving or Juneteenth. And several of these days and seasons have corresponding rituals, such as block parties or backyard grilling or fireworks or carving the turkey. Not only that, but we associate these days and seasons with specific emotions. July 4th is celebratory, whereas September 11th is somber and reflective. Most of us observe these days and seasons without giving it much thought. After all, they represent values and events that are worth remembering. But what we usually miss, or what we rarely think about, is how these days and seasons are shaping us into good Americans. These observances are formative. Provided we observe them, 
they have the effect of creating and sustaining a common culture. So again, as Americans, we already understand the concept of liturgical time. We already have a framework for understanding the formative power of organizing our calendar around the life of Christ. If we recognize that the annual cycle of American holidays is an effective way to make faithful Americans, surely we can imagine that an annual cycle that revolves around Jesus may be an effective way to make faithful citizens of the kingdom of God. If you think about it, it's, it's really no wonder that the evangelical church has become so politicized. It shouldn't be surprising when we see churches singing hymns to America on Sunday mornings. For generations now, evangelical churches have, for the most part, been observing the American calendar while neglecting the Christian calendar. Of course, the vast majority of people observe Christmas and Easter, but the civic calendar, the American calendar, has proven much more formative for many evangelicals. I think Pentecost Sunday is a prime example of this. Many American churches fail to even acknowledge Pentecost Sunday, which remembers the birthday of the church. And yet a few weeks later, those same Americans will spend hundreds of dollars on fireworks to remember the birthday of America. I I hope we can all agree that something is out of balance there. You see, the way we mark the passing of time reveals what we understand our purpose to be. We mark the fiscal year for a specific purpose. We mark the school year for a different purpose. And neither one is necessarily tied to the calendar year, which we mark for yet another purpose. So we can reject the Christian year if we want, but we will ultimately end up observing some other year. And that other year will not have Jesus at the center of it. So the church calendar, or the Christian year, is designed to form us and shape us in accordance with the story of the gospel. We become so formed and so shaped that we even begin to tell time Christianly. We become so gospel-centered that the fundamental rhythm of our lives revolves around Jesus. In all of our feasting and fasting, our lives begin to mirror his. Most of us take for granted the importance of telling time. Timelessness is a form of torture. In fact, one of the strategies used by interrogators is to deny their detainees the means of telling time. They manipulate the clocks or they take them away altogether. They block all the sunlight. They offer meals at irregular times. They make the detainees sleep during the day and stay awake through the night. And the result of all of this is cognitive disorientation. The detainee eventually enters into a childlike state. Another example of this was imposed on American slaves. Slave owners would withhold from their slaves the date of their birth, which was another way of denying them a sense of individuality. Frederick Douglass actually went to great lengths to learn his birth date because without it, He sensed that there was a gaping hole in his identity. We hardly ever think about these things, but it it goes to show the power of timekeeping. 
If not telling time is so detrimental to us, then perhaps telling time with gospel intentionality could be very beneficial. Now, I, I want to introduce two Greek terms that help us to understand what's going on when we observe the Christian year. And the two words are anamnesis and prolepsis. Anamnesis is bringing the past into the present, whereas amnesia is the inability to remember, the inability to bring the past into the present. Anamnesis is bringing memory near, bringing the past into the present. When we're talking about anamnesis, it's, it's not enough to simply substitute the English word remember. The word remember ultimately falls short. In the Bible, when you see the word remember, the idea behind that word is more like a memorial. Remembering is not just a cognitive exercise. It's not just a matter of thinking thoughts about past events. It's a matter of memorializing and ritualizing the past. For instance, consider the Lord's Supper. We know the phrase, do this in remembrance of me. But a more accurate translation might be, do this as my memorial. But in, in either case, I, I want to point out the word do. Jesus is not just telling us to remember. We're not just thinking the right thoughts. Jesus is telling us to do something. Jesus is instituting a new ritual, a specific memorial that is going to help us remember in a specific way. And the manner in which it helps us is by inserting us into the story. It's not enough to think back to the Last Supper between Jesus and his disciples. To remember that biblically, we have to memorialize it. We have to actually reenact the Last Supper. And that's what a ritual accomplishes. Do this, he says. Pray for this, eat it, and pass it. Pray for that, drink it, and pass it. The past event isn't happening again, but the past event is being brought into the present by means of a spirit-filled ritual. That is the idea behind anamnesis. Now, prolepsis. Whereas anamnesis is bringing the past into the present, prolepsis is bringing the future into the present. Prolepsis is also happening in the Lord's Supper. We are not only memorializing the Last Supper, we are also memorializing the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, which is something we're still looking forward to. So again, it's not enough to substitute prolepsis with the English word anticipation. This is more than just anticipation. This is an actual experience of the future. So by means of anamnesis and prolepsis, the Christian year celebrates in the present both what has happened and what we believe will happen in the future. The Christian year allows us to insert ourselves into the gospel, into the story of the gospel, to experience in the present both the past and the future. You see, the, the gospel is inescapably tied to real human history. Jesus was a real human being, born in Bethlehem to a first century Jewish couple. He was hunted by the actual King Herod, 
and he lived in the days of the actual Emperor Augustus. He was crucified under the jurisdiction of the actual Pontius Pilate. This means that the gospel is more than just a good idea or an abstract philosophy. The gospel is history. The gospel is historical record. Jesus came to a real place in real time. And so the Trinity and human history are intertwined. The life we are living right now cannot be severed from the life we will live eternally. And the Christian year impresses this upon us by impregnating our ordinary lives with meaning and eternal purpose. And this practice of organizing our annual rhythms in accordance with key events in the life of Jesus becomes even more intriguing and powerful when we realize that the key events in the life of Jesus were themselves happening in accordance with specific days and seasons within the Jewish calendar. The Gospels make a point to tell us that Jesus did X, Y, or Z on the Sabbath or during a particular Jewish feast. He offered living water on the final day of the Feast of Booths. He was crucified and resurrected during the Feast of the Passover. He sent the Holy Spirit during the Feast of Pentecost. And so we organize our lives in accordance with the life of Christ. And the life of Christ was organized in accordance with the Jewish calendar. And the Jewish calendar was itself organized in accordance with the season of the year established by God in Genesis chapter 1. So from creation to Israel's festival calendar to the life of Christ to you. The New Testament teaches us that all these days and seasons are properly understood and observed in Christ. The early disciples were still observing the old Jewish calendar, but they were doing so with the understanding that Jesus had filled it with new meaning. Jesus was not replacing anything. He was renovating everything. And so over time, the Jewish Passover became the Christian Easter. The Jewish Pentecost became the birthday of the church, and so on. Now, it's true that certain passages in Scripture warn us against misusing the Jewish festivals. We see this in Galatians 4 and Colossians 2. But these passages are not addressing the proper use of the calendar. Rather, they are warning against the improper use of the calendar as a form of Judaizing, using the calendar as a way of reverting back to the Old Covenant. In organizing our calendar around Jesus, we are obviously not doing that. Rather than organizing our worship in accordance with the whims of your church staff, Rather than following the latest spiritual fad, we are organizing our worship around biblical themes and events. We are taking care to tell time Christianly, to tell time under the Lordship of Christ, who is the Lord of time, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, the most basic and consistent way in which we observe the Christian year is by worshiping together every Sunday. As those who worship together every Sunday, we already observe a simplified version of the Christian year. And of course, most of us already have a pretty good rhythm of observing Christmas and Easter. 
And so what I'm talking about here is just taking that a step further. We're not, we're not trying to be the spiritual equivalent of Olympic athletes. We're not trying to go from zero to 60. We just want to take that next faithful step toward organizing our lives around the gospel and the life of Christ. Just like our civic calendar is designed to shape us into good Americans, we want to allow the liturgical calendar to shape us into good disciples of Christ and good citizens of the kingdom. So ask yourself the question, how can I better leverage the Christian year? How can I allow the Christian year to do some of the legwork when it comes to my own discipleship and the discipleship of others.